All right, welcome back to Being Extra. Today, I'm delighted because I'm joined by my friend, Stephen Dean. He is an actor, he's a director, he's a producer. How are you doing, Stephen? Hey, great. How are you, Jorge? Good to see you again. Good to see you, man. Uh, amongst all this craziness that happened in the last couple of months that we were not expecting, how have you been after the quarantine started? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been pretty wild, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been wild, man. Uh, I was on the resident when, um, as an extra when, when the quarantine started and they just said, we're not coming back for two weeks. And then we're like, okay, two weeks. Then that two weeks turned into a month and that month turned into two months. Were you working on anything at the time when the quarantine started? Kind of hit the brakes for a while. So, um, so no, a <laughs> long story short, no, but, um, you know, so it, it in a way, um, it definitely, uh, it's kind of weird that it ended up sort of um, being a blessing in a weird way because I, I was going to have to withdraw from, from things anyways. Um, so um, it, it slowed things down overall enough to where it kind of strangely um, helped in some ways. Yeah, for sure. Me too. You know, there's, um, I, I never had the time to like read or like even just walk or jog or, or start this show, something I wanted to do for over a year. So it is yeah. a blessing in disguise. I've been uh, practicing on my script writing, stuff like that, that I just never had the time to do. It's just, this is the perfect time to do it. There's no excuse for saying, oh, we, I don't have time. I, I totally understand. I feel the same way. Just uh, it, it opened up some doors that would have remained closed otherwise. So so there's there's some good things at least. That's true. Are you watching anything right now during quarantine? Are you catching up on any shows? Definitely. Um, I, probably the last thing I worked on on the uh, bigger things was The Outsiders, but I was actually working as crew, and uh, I watched that whole series on HBO now, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. Um, I was into Westworld. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I dropped off a little bit in the current season, but I got caught up to almost the most recent episodes. Um, Gosh, I rent movies all the time from like Redbox or streaming. So I'll, I watch something almost every night. Uh, it's been um, it's been a good chance to catch up with movies, both old and new. Uh, last night I watched the uh, new Fantasy Island. Um, I rented mm -hmm. that. Do you think uh, that, like you personally, uh, like that the movie theaters are going to go back into business normally? Or do you think that's going to be or it's going to change more towards the streaming side of things. Yeah, I really, uh, definitely in the immediate sense, streaming, uh, is, is like in full pre-production. I know right now they're looking for all new content and, and tr trying to get more out there and there's more competition coming into that marketplace. Uh, I, I hope that we sustain the theater business. I certainly think we will. I don't, I think it'll look different. I don't know how different, but, um, I hope it'll come back. It, uh, if, if nothing more, you know, that nostalgic event type movie viewing that it brings, it's nice to be able to go and watch a film in the theater and get out of the house and, and enjoy, enjoy that. So I, I hope we don't lose, uh, lose that. Cause I know we're losing, I know we're losing some things in other areas of industry and business. So uh, I, I do, I'm a little, apprehensive of the fallout because i think we're seeing a delayed reaction and we're still not seeing the full impact right now just yet i, I think we're starting to and i'm a little, a little worried about that 
I agree, man. Uh, you know, most of the work, when I don't get crew work, I do extra work. And an article came out, I think, two weeks ago that, that said extras might be gone. You know, they might, they might put us in uh, green screens and multiply us in the scenes. We might be wiped out, you know, <laughs> you know extinct. I mean, it, it could happen, right? Yeah, that's that's sad to think too because um the whole you know that kind of opened the door to larger argument with um uh augmented reality and new technology coming out. Um, you know, I've had people tell me they're gonna replace actors altogether with digital actors and it'll just all be voiced over and I'll let you know the thing about that is we've got a foot on the gas pedal and a foot on the brake. Mm -hmm. collectively the industry is driving the car if we don't want those things to happen just don't do it do something else you know keep that job keep people working uh keep the realism there uh you know extras bring a lot i mean every that sense of seeing every everything they're in in that atmosphere so um yeah you could digitize some of it and i know you know as well as you do that rendering and things keep getting better and better but um but at the end of the day, uh, uh, it, it kind of would lose that magic if it if it all just becomes a video game of sorts. You know, <laughs> if I want to watch uh, cut scenes for a video game, I'll go play my video game. I, I like to see live action aspects to a lot of the uh, creative side of TV and film. I think we need to keep that in there, you know? I agree, man. Uh, and there there is going to be a movie star. I think James Dean, who we know he's been dead for a while. He got cast on a movie, so yeah, he got a movie deal. Well, his family got a movie deal, so they're gonna CGI him into a movie. Wow. That's interesting. That's the future. There's there's already uh, an influencer, an Instagram influencer, CGI, and that the person who does the CGI already has like uh, clo clothing deals, stuff like that. So yeah, it's scary. Wow. It's, it's, it's funny. The, the, uh, family owns intellectual property there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It, you know, it'll have its uses for sure. Um, I hope, uh, we can kind of balance the two things, you know, because, um, it is nice on the crew side, the acting side, the talent side and everything to have human interaction and connection involved. So I think, uh, any, idea or technology can get carried away and and it takes good uh level heads and sound judgment of, of where do we really want to go how much do you how far do you want to take something um so i think balance is always very important yeah and you as a director steven you know there's nothing like working with people right right i mean that's true yeah i mean as you know i don't <laughs> i don't credit myself to be a great director or anything but the but the best part about it is um is working with with people and getting that human interaction and that coming together for that collaborative process and that's throughout any budget tier you know i know uh i've met so many friends that way i mean inadvertently that's how uh i, I met you and, and other people and that's uh that's the priceless part of it you know the rest of it's material and uh i i hope um i we, i think most people once you reach a certain age in life you realize material only goes so far oh man it's so good to catch up it's good to talk to somebody about movies like i love my wife but she's not that interested in movies <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, my, my, my wife likes to watch it, and I'll usually end up ruining it for dissecting things. Like, oh, you know, behind the scenes, and she's just like, she's like, I do not care. Stop doing that. <laughs> so, dude. <laughs> Dude, yeah, my wife is like, stop, do not tell me that was a blue screen, stop. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, look, they use this type of light. And she's like, I'm out. She's like, you ruined it. <laughs> Mine too, we're too technical for them maybe. Or in that, in that one arena, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's, it's funny how we like the creative side of it. <laughs> it. It about ruins you on trying to enjoy watching certain things sometimes, you know? Yeah. You and me are like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where we're like this when we see something. Yeah. Boy, I, I tell you, he's such a great actor. I watched uh, Django again recently on Netflix. Oof. Netflix. Oof. That's a good one. Luis, you're on. Hey, Luis. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Do you guys have a nice talk? Yeah, yeah. We were catching up, seeing how we were doing, what he was watching and doing during quarantine. We talked a little bit about the film industry. Awesome, awesome. Let's go. Okay. So yeah, so Jorge tells me that you um, that you started in law enforcement. Like, can you, can you tell us what uh, what what you did in that and how that transitioned into you working into the film industry? Oh yeah, um, sure. That was a interesting. It is an interesting segue because um, I, I started in it at age nineteen when I was very young, uh, and I got out right around age twenty-five. So um, I did for roughly five years. Uh, I started working in correction center, which a lot of people probably do, and uh, eventually went on patrol um, and uh, and worked on patrol for a while. And I was fortunate enough to work with some. Um, veteran cops had already retired for one career and came to the department I was with and basically kind of worked as a second job through retirement. So uh, they gave me a lot of guidance and, you know, several of them suggested, Hey, maybe you should try something else. And, you know, the it's a tough career and it's tough to make money and we're on our second career just to make a living. And, and I said, yeah. And, and of course the job brings, a certain amount of negativity with so I after about five or so years I just decided to move into something else uh, a part of my life and uh, I went back to college and finished my bachelor's degree and right about the uh, tail end of that time the movie business in Georgia started um, bumping up and that's when I started uh, doing extra work right around that time it was kind of a nice little part-time job while I was in school so I think a lot of us got a lot of work when the when the movie industry started booming. Yes. Exactly what happened to me. Like you started hearing about it, and then like once you know, like once you know that there's like work out there, you just start doing it more. So it just like it, was, it kind of felt like it was like an opp like like it felt like an opportunity that was presenting itself. Definitely, yeah. Well, Stephen. Uh... I know you started as an extra, but then you eventually transitioned into a stand-in. And I see here that you stood in for Henry Thomas, who is the kid in, on ET. How was that experience working on Haunting of Hill House? Was that a good experience? How was it? That was my... That definitely tied with working on Stranger Things for Top Favorite. That, that really was amazing because... Um, I, I really stayed with that show a lot. It was sporadic. Uh, I know production schedule on that actually got broken up where there's a long rest period. So it's kind of all over the place at different times, but 
uh, I went with them to uh, to place in Lagrange where the actual exterior of the home was filmed, and it's just so cool being on that set at night. Uh, you know, they had the large um, air star lights up in the sky and all the fog pumped out there and it really did have a haunted house feel to it and just being out there in the middle of the night doing something working on on that project because that that project you knew was going to be uh very well received that set was just amazing on the uh interior of the mansion yeah. I, to be able to do that over the course of time that, that i mean it was awesome uh, that was one of my best experiences by far uh you know, it wasn't always easy. I mean, it's still the crazy hours and big, long commutes. But, yeah, I would do it again uh, without a doubt. So I loved it. Did you get to interact with Henry at all? Oh, yeah, I did a, a little bit. You know, um, I, you know me personally. One-on-one, uh, -on -one, I'm a talker. But on the set, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm very quiet. <laughs> so I, I kept it very professional. I never try to talk to anybody around the set because – you know, there's so much going on. So I just, when we talked, I just kept it very professional. Uh, you know, he's very nice. Um, I didn't try to talk about any other conversation or anything like that. I, I just don't do that. I, I think they get bombarded with people trying to do that. And I try to keep it about the work. And, and it was great. Had a great time. He was wonderful, really nice. And, you know, when I needed to tell him something about blocking or, or something a little else, I would just throw it out there and just to make sure he knew. And, it was just about the work at that point, but he was so nice and very friendly. Um, so yeah, I said, I only have good things to say for sure. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. That was good, man, because he was a kid in E.T. And E.T. for me was my introduction to Spielberg. So were you a little bit being like a fan about that or were you just like... Uh... Yeah, E.T., yeah. E. same way, you know, in, in the original Jurassic Park and everything. I love uh, Spielberg. Um, it, I I thought it was awesome because his audition, I, I remember watching it several times on YouTube as a child when he auditioned for E.T. and it was just incredible, his natural ability. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of heartbreaking to watch him act out that scene. I was just like, wow, to be that good at that age already. Yeah. Um, I only got to work on Hill House like one, one, one day. Um, uh, we did a, a overnight on there. Um, but you know when it came out and it got all the rave reviews i was i was like very proud that it was filmed here and then you know that's very cool that you worked on there um yeah so that was just that, yeah that was a that was a pretty cool show that i'm glad was shot uh here um but so but another another show that we've both been on um like you were saying is a so stranger things uh yeah. you were you were on stranger things season two and three uh, yeah, and I, one, I was on one a lot. I'm actually, I'm mostly featured on one as far as the uh, background part on episode seven in the bathtub. I'm the oblivious police officer sitting at the desk smoking a fake cigarette there when the kids are running in. Um, that was so cool because I didn't see that one coming. You know, it, it seemed to be something that uh, they decided on the spot. Um, so, you know, I got a good little five seconds in there. Uh and what's weird about Stranger Things was I was there for some reason or another on the very first day the kids landed at the stage. Uh, I was there for camera testing because I was uh, testing the uh, Hawkins PD uh, uniforms for camera. 
And I was there when those little kids got out of that van for the first time with their moms. Most, I think everybody had their mom. Uh, maybe somebody had one person had a dad. And they're coming, and they're so young and so little. I think that's the first time they arrived on set. They were, they had them sitting out there with us, and I was like, oh, I think these are the actors. And they were the whole cast, you know, Millie, Bob, Bobby Brown, and um, the the older ones weren't there, but the children were all there. Yeah. And they're so grown now. It's crazy to see them now, right? It is. Yeah. They're, I think one of them's taller than me. I want to uh, yeah. uh, walk down the set on season three. And uh, it, it's insane how, how they've grown. And, and to work, I love that show. I don't know if you felt like this, but at the time I was like, what is this show? Stranger Things. I was like, I wonder what that's going to be about. And who knew the 80s vibe and everything just really hit so well. Yeah, after season one came out, I thought it was amazing. Right? So well done, and so I didn't. I didn't get to work on uh, Stranger Things till season three. So it's cool that you you've been there. You know, you've been a cop. You've been there. I was I was there for the mall days a lot. Um, so you there? Wow, they didn't have cops there though, did they? Were you there? I, I no, I didn't. I didn't get to uh, do the mall. I wish I would have because uh, it was right down the road. I don't live very far from that one. Okay. It seemed as luck would have it, every time I worked on set, it was south of Atlanta. I'm, I'm northeast, but, you know, I always made the drive. So. All, all I'm going to say before I move on to my next question is that I'm jealous of you guys because I've been trying to get on Stranger Things forever. And every, every to know, but my deal is, my problem, and I've talked about this on the past episode, so I won't get too long into it. It's just that every time I'm growing out my hair, uh, they call me for a different extra show and they bust my hair, you know, but you're good, you know, because like, I guess, I don't know, they, they don't like my fade and they're like, no. And uh, every time I get a military cut for uh, the first time was Godzilla, then for deputy. So I was just like, okay, I'm, I give up. <laughs> I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, the thing about the hair is uh, I have to grow a mullet, which I hated it and I will never do it again. Um, I just wanted to do it to be on Stranger Things, but I, yeah, they definitely made me grow my hair out into lengths that I wouldn't have normally have kept it. So, you know, um, but I mean, to be on Stranger Things is, and, you know, and as you know, they might start filming Stranger Things season four. Yeah. Uh, whenever filming resumes. So I might yeah. have to grow my hair out. <laughs> I, I just I, might have my full hair. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had were supposed to uh, film something. I thought, yeah. So I I ended up cutting my hair. Um, at, at one point, I wasn't supposed to, but with quarantine, it was pretty much coming off because I don't grow mine out that long. It, it doesn't want to cooperate very well once it gets a certain length. So it just yeah. gets too annoying. <laughs> well, Stephen. So I wanted to talk to you about not sending in or extra, but being an actor because you are an actor. Yeah, I don't consider myself one, but I do do some acting. Yeah. You're an actor, right? As long as you've been in front of the camera, I consider you an actor. Yeah. So, so my question is, you are also a director. So, as a, is it easier to take direction sometimes because you've been a director? Or is it sometimes like you want to direct yourself because you think you might do things better a different way than the director told you? Or is it just like you just follow the direction the director tells you? Oh, um, yeah, that's a good question. No, I, I don't have any like ego, not to say that somebody that feels that way is egotistical, but I, I don't have ego when it comes to it. So I try to be an open, um, 
uh, a, a blank sheet, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't try to infuse. It, you know, I always try to, if, if I'm acting on somebody else's project, which is few and far between, um, I, I would want to know what they're trying to get at and, and maybe try to show them some range. Um, I always, uh, you know, directing so bizarre sometimes at the at the low budget or no budget level where, where I'm at most of the time. Um, it, it doesn't feel as much like directing as I, when I go on the big sets and work different crew positions where there's money behind it and a lot of different jobs and, and, and everybody's a professional. It's really good at what they're doing. Um, you know, the other things are, I, I know you could relate. You're wearing so many hats. You feel more like some kind of technician half the time. Cause you're, you're trying to worry about everything plus their performance. And, you know, I feel like that that's just a different ball of wax where you're trying to, put so many eggs in a few, you know, you only have so many eggs and you got a lot of baskets. You're just trying to put at least one in every basket and there's just not enough eggs almost. But, um, so, but yeah, on the bigger stuff and when I've done commercials and things like that, I, I don't ever try to uh, infuse what I think will work because I've seen this in myself and in other people of just any level. I think we all experience this whether we know it or not. There's like, a disconnect between what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing. And I know we're all aware of that. We look at ourselves when we're on camera, webcam, and we're watching to try to see, is this really going to look, but I don't know when it comes to acting, if everybody stops and thinks, is my um, input, what I'm thinking is, is the output the same as what I think the input is. I think there's differences there. And, and one example is I don't sound, when I talk, like I really sound to everyone else, you know, and it, that difference between input and output, I'm always trying to be aware of that. And I see that difference between people. So I try to be open to direction for sure. <laughs> That's good. And just to follow that up, do you think acting in commercials is different than let's say TV or movies? Oh uh, yeah, I, I do because um, most of them, uh, most of the narrative work uh, more times than not, at least from my experience. And well, I mean, even guitar TV, it's got that more sometimes a gritty uh, topics. It just, I guess it depends on the genre, but the genres that I like and that I've had experience to work on, I would say are night or day. There's no commercial uh, polish to, to some of these horror films and ghost stories. You wouldn't see a lot of that in the commercial world. So, I, the few times I've been cast in commercial spots were like the the dad role or or maybe somebody comical or or, or maybe just somebody in the crowd, you know. Um, so those are definitely different unless we're, you know, we're doing plating or something as stadium scene on a show. <laughs> you know about those days, don't you? Yeah. We do the stadium yeah. plating. God bless. Um, <laughs> you know, those are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just I thought that was very like insightful you were saying about being aware of like all the different hats you wear and like I feel like you said because you're not a hundred percent an actor I feel like actors yeah. don't think in the shoes of you know other people as much as themselves and because you've been in those other different roles and also acting it all, it all, like you, you take it all, and you, you know, you process, and you understand what everyone else is going through because you've also been there. 
Um, yeah. So I just, I just thought that was like really cool inside that you were like, I feel like I, people who are actors, act, just actors, like wouldn't have said, wouldn't have said what you just said. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, maybe my, not. My, so that's just really interesting. Um, but yeah, but moving, but mo- moving on, um, uh, we, uh, Jorge also told me that you did a, uh, a music video for a very uh, known artist, a Mr. T.I. Uh, can, oh. can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, you know, that's one of the things um, that was, that was nervous because of me, not them, but um, I, I had went, that was actually an extra role I started on that. It was cold. I know it was around December and I'm a fan of T.I. I've always uh, liked his music and I uh, listen to rap and hip hop. And of course him being from Atlanta is a, is kind of an extra plus, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a little cold and I got to sit, I was supposed to be a news reporter, but I didn't realize that I was going to have lines and have a little bit of, I'm probably the worst reporter because obviously the, southern accents a little tough to thin out so um <laughs> god you know i felt so much pressure i didn't want to let anybody down i just remember that the director came and said hey you know i want you to say these lines there's about five or six lines and it was cold and i just know my jaw was frozen <laughs> it was so hard we're here yet again for the fifth shooting in this community this year between the police and an african-american male Officer Mitchell says that his shooting was justified in self-defense. Actually, I'm wow. getting just in that the police have wow. released that Officer Mitchell's shooting was justified. I said you didn't want them to hear the chattering of your of your of your gums. <laughs> you exactly, just like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Wow. And, and I, could, I couldn't get the words out. Uh, it never just. I, I felt like I was frustrated. I said, "I'm sorry." I said, "I'm going to get this right." I said, "Let me try to pop my jaw or something." And um. And it went great uh, from the fly because five or six lines aren't a big deal, but like right in the moment when they hand it to you and you got to go, like right now, it, it, you just, if you're trying to perfect it, and it can get a little technical. So um, it worked out uh, well, uh, but, you know, you have to get used to people on set, but, but uh, just not being mentally prepared to have lines and, and actually 20 or 30 people behind the camera <laughs> looking at you wanting you to get it so they can move on. Oh boy, that it was fun, but it was stressful during that moment. <laughs> and how, how was T.I.? Did you get to talk to T.I.? Uh, uh, I, 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 I didn't see, get close to him, no. Uh, short answer, no, but um, he, uh, he was there, but it, they were running behind, so it's one of those really – you know, it's kind of a, the, the reporter's shot where I was uh, superimposed on TV or whatever later. Did he just use a little snippet, you know? Uh, he was uh, leaving right around that time, and they were just trying to get this before moving to another location. So it, I wasn't really around it very much. I'm sure it would have been great to talk to him. I'm sure he would have been open to uh, – a few times I saw him, he was talking to a few people. He seemed approachable, so that was awesome. But, hey, you – were the first voice in the video before even T.I. spoke. <laughs> terrible. Wasn't it terrible, though? It, it, was, was, like, it, was, it I, was terrible. It was <laughs> terrible. I was like, what am I doing? That sounds so Southern, you know? And I said, I'll try to uh, thin that out. But I guess for a Georgia reporter, it might work. I don't know. <laughs> as soon as I put play on the video, 
I'm like, let me let me look for Steven. First thing that pops up, your voice. <laughs> I'm like, there he is. I don't have to look anymore. I would like to think I could do better now, but who knows? <laughs> that was good. I believe it. It's because I know you, but it sounded like a reporter to me, to be honest. Yeah, You're, yeah, yeah. I feel like your accent didn't come through that bad. I think it was it was very believable oh, for sure. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> Oh man, you know I get I get the accent is always a problem. I've never worked on trying to thin it out, but I've been asked, you know, do you want to get rid of? It? I'm like, well, sure, if it was an easy choice. But you know, um, uh, I've I've been accused of being from Texas, Tennessee, and one person I think some at some point said Nebraska, which is just crazy, <laughs> and I don't know where that came from. But it's interesting. Uh, it's you know, rural Georgia accent. Uh, I'm definitely from Northeast Georgia, and it definitely comes through sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, Steven, would you consider yourself a character actor in the roles you have played uh, in commercials? Probably not my choice, like what I would want to be. You know, it seems like the commercials I've done, it's always kind of the dad role. And I remember seeing something um, last week or a few weeks ago, they were saying about that to, you know, don't fight where people think you fit casting directors and so forth. I've never tried to fight anybody on where they think I could fit. Just fitting anywhere is great, you know? So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, cause I, of course would rather play the bad guy roles, you know, it's weird. I can kind of relate to that, to that side of it a little more. The good guy roles are, um, or the hero type roles for some reason I struggle with more than, than the bad guy. So when I do a commercial thing, it, it, it can be stressful sometimes. I'm, wait, I'm supposed to be a nice dad now. Wait a second. So, you know, transition time. <laughs> so the next portion of this interview is, uh, so um, Jorge, tell me, you're a, you're a precision driver. You, how long have you been, how long have you been a precision driver? How long have you been driving, uh, you know, motorcycles and, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, lately, not much. It's been a few years since I've done anything, but when I first started, I did it, um, for several years. Uh, you know, the law enforcement background helped a lot with that. I, I went through what they call EVOC, uh, emergency vehicle operations control training. And, and that definitely gave me good background motorcycles. I've just been, I've grew up on dirt bikes and, and I transitioned to street bikes in my late teens. So I've been riding motorcycles all my life. So it's just a natural, uh, thing with that and I actually did ride motorcycle on one of those discovery ID shows as a character uh which was fun you know but I haven't done stunt related motorcycle work but yeah I did that for probably about three years you know precision driving with the uh, cars on sets uh no stunt I I've never done stunt driving um just just the precision driving I know some people out there might not di differentiate between the two but I know you guys know so well, for our non-movie working listeners, would you explain a little bit of the difference between precision and stunt driving? Oh, yeah, sure, I can. Um, you know, the stunt driving is really the dangerous stuff where people can get hurt or killed and, and, and things are really getting damaged. Precision drivers, they want somebody with some driving expertise or background, whether it's from law enforcement or some kind of driving school that's maybe even a, a race car driver could qualify or somebody like that, but you're moving cars on set basically sometimes in close proximity to um, background or actors or people. So everything moving in the background 
on camera if it's a controlled set you know should in theory be operated by a precision driver um you know for safety somebody that has good control of their vehicle and you know i i, I think you guys may have done it before too you know how they regulate the speed it's usually pretty uh much 20 miles per hour or under i think one time it was 25 miles per hour but i've, I've never driven faster than that on sat I was going to say, yeah, I think they've had me drive, um, but they didn't actually hire me as a precision driver. But I think I've done it uh, once by, like, again, sometimes I'll tell you to do stuff when you're there. So spur of the moment. So, um, oh, yeah. but uh, to move on, um, you also would drive motorcycles. Would you, would, which, one, which one did you, like, prefer when you did do it? Did you like driving motorcycles or, like, cars more? Uh, definitely motorcycles. Any time I can ride a motorcycle, I would prefer it unless it's really cold. Um, I had, uh, I had like a Ducati, uh, back when I was doing that discovery ID thing. So that was a lot of fun, um, wow. for, for that show, you know, <laughs> and it, it was, uh, it wasn't like that. That's probably fastest I ever driven on camera. That was probably only 45, but it was a closed road and I was the only vehicle on it. So, um, it's funny how a lot of the, the speeds are, are controlled more, but I don't think I would get into the stunt side of the motorcycle riding because, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can get hurt so fast and, and some scenes call for not wearing a helmet and so forth. So there's probably a, that increased risk, you know, with camera cranes and booms being used that that's probably a little more than I would want. <laughs> that's too risky, man. Like, I seen what the stunt drivers do. When I saw it on uh, Venom, we did three overnights of just stunt work. We were just people on the streets running away. But the stunts they did, you know, the cars will flip. And then there would just be this moment of silence to see if the driver was okay. And you just didn't know what was going to happen. It was scary. Yeah, you're right. The, I think precision driving sounds nice. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, uh, Louise brought up a good point with driving on set because they do a lot of times just give a background a bump to use a car in the background they're not really precision driving and what i said kind of contradict that because um I, I my times when when they actually call for precision driving it seemed like talent and people were close in closer proximity to those cars and maybe they had a stunt driver involved around precision drivers so there was there were um times where it really mirrored uh mirrored the um background just being paid a bump to drive you know uh, i remember one time that we're on peachtree street and they just had limited access to close down the road so all of us were precision drivers that day but we had to really quickly parallel park when they opened the street back up it was like shoot go and then it's like stop clear the street and everybody'd have to parallel park again and re to reset um so so I think, you know, that sometimes that line does get blurred. Yeah, he, I'm glad he brought that up because there is a, a, a fine line there sometimes. Oh, yeah. Have you done um, – so you, you said you used to, you've done stuff like on Petrie Street and stuff. Um, have, did you do most of your precision driving, like, on actual streets? Or, like, sometimes – did you ever do it in the studio in more controlled environments? Or was it more out there, like, in the wild kind of um, in the actual world? Uh, yeah, it was actually on, on uh, scene there uh, rather than uh, uh, in a studio. You know, we're actually on set at a, a location um, most of the time. There, 
you know, another time, remember, we drove through, um, I think it's for Survivor's Remorse that yeah. uh, we were doing a little scene, a little surface street off the interstate or something. They they did do a good bit. I remember doing a good bit of a, of some driving opportunities on their show. Um, it, it is interesting. But, you know, at times when I was doing extra work, I, like a, like you guys, I, I was just doing the regular driving and you get the little car bomb. Um, well, one time I actually got the bump for riding a mountain bike. I brought a mountain bike. You know, every once in a while you got weird, something yeah. like that, and got to ride through. That was fun. I mean, just ride your bike back and forth a few times and right. make easy money and see people. So it wasn't bad. <laughs> well, that's good, man. Yeah, the precision driving sounds fun. Yeah, sometimes they get us with the with the car bump thing. I've had to done that too before, but... Well, I want to move on, and I want to talk to you about, you know, your directing and producing. Uh, and I'm going to, I've seen your work. I've skimmed through it, not just now for the interview, but I've seen it before. And I, I'm impressed. You have an impressive resume from all you've done, from acting to directing. I'm impressed. Uh, and I know I've shot a couple of shorts myself, and I know how stressful it can be when you're on a micro-budget compared to, you know, like a big budget and limited number of crew. But it feels great to see your vision come to life, you know? Does it feel rewarding once, you know, you finish, you edit it, you put it out there? Yeah, definitely. Well, it does, and it's a relief as well because, you know, you get so many people involved, and uh, on the lower side of things, you know, with working crew, like in the union, um, and then just doing uh, no low to no budget um, smaller projects. They're, they're really two different worlds. I don't know if everybody even on the, the crew side that works on big union, um, I think they associate non-union with non-union with big budget still, because <laughs> you know, there's, there's studio and then there's non-union. They both could still have pretty good budgets, um, uh, different rules, different game, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know what we try to do to make something out of nothing from the dirt it's as i say it's tough and it's incredibly tough um and it takes a long time to see things through uh and it's nice to be able to get to work with so many different people even when you're at that level and and come through and and try to make something the quality that benefits everybody involved you know i, I try not to make any of that about me in that process because it, it's not even if i even if i were to want to make it to be about me and i'm not um it, it would never would be because i think you've experienced it too it's really a lot of people come together to uh to it's like building a house you know <laughs> like a uh a, a lot of uh subcontractors and on the low end unpaid people come together to try and make some, something with a passion behind it um you know same same Theory goes through union things with a big budget. Uh, it, it still reminds me of building a house, but there's a lot of subcontractors that, uh, you know, people are making money and, and, and it is definitely uh, higher stakes and yeah. bigger toys and <laughs> everything. <laughs> so so they're just, I guess I mean to say they're just two different worlds, you know, two totally different worlds. Um, I don't know that everybody knows that because I've seen some crew people respond differently uh, about the low to no budget, but, um, but it, it comes down to where, you know, yeah, you can w work on the big stuff when you can, but when you go to do your own thing, um, 
you just work with what you have and do the best you can. And I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, there's different schools of thought with that. But uh, I've seen people say things that context, if you all have money to make a film, don't make a film. But Mm -hmm. thank God. Uh, throughout history of Hollywood, everybody else didn't think that way, you know, right. so, because a lot of these people now, they're big directors, they had a lot of trouble getting money for films, and they worked off of shoestring budgets, so yeah. I think that's an, a wrong mindset for people to have. Anyways, but backtracking real quick, um, so I, I love, like, your, your story of you gum, coming from, like, law enforcement and starting in um, the movie industry, and, like, you know, I would say that you said you started on like extras and that's usually like the yeah. beginning, the bottom. So it's just really interesting. And then, um, I mean, some other people sometimes uh, get into like a section of, you know, like stunts or precision driving or standing in and then that'll just be the thing that they like love doing. They're like, I love doing this. I'm just going to stick to this. Um, so it's just cool how like you just, you like kept moving and now like, you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying you're like a big hotshot producer or director. No, but like, not that's, at all. That, that's, yeah. But that is more like that's up there on the ladder of like you started uh, as an extra and now you're like directing and producing. That's, you know, that's very interesting. Um, you know, yeah. did that come naturally or did, you know, did you always kind of want to be director, producer or when you, I mean, when you started or did it just kind of organically come along as you were working in the industry? Like, What's yeah. up with that? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, it, it, you know, as a kid, I remember like maybe even early uh, teens, around 11, 12, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, I'd like to be an actor for some reason. But, at, you know, rural Northeast Georgia was worlds away from Los Angeles. And I grew up very humble in the country. And I was like, yeah, that probably never happened. Maybe when I'm adult, I'll be able to go out there for it to have come here like it did. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, so so that was like a childhood dream that I really felt like was a dream. I mean, who would have thought? I think none of us would have thought that it would come here. I mean, <laughs> you know, and um, so, but as far as the directing part, um, it, it, which it, it, like you said, it producing directing, it's a work in progress. Um, I get to a point uh, throughout time where I really start, uh, feeling like I always need to do a better job. I always feel like I'm trying to improve. I guess that's just a part of, of learning your craft and getting better. But but I it, it was not something that I thought about directing. I actually came about uh, organically, like you had mentioned, from starting as an extra. Because initially, um, I think I get, I think back to the first time I started being extra. And the first job I got was on the originals. Uh, and I remember going to Conyers for the first time for that. I was an extra on that show for the very first time. And um, it was very exciting. And I was, I felt like I was taking a first step to be an actor. And now it's funny because that you mentioned that, because I do feel like it's organically uh, uh, kind of created that I wanted to um, create and, and, and be a director producer, be able to make at least my own films. So uh, I, now I consider myself more, I guess a, a filmmaker than I do an actor. I, I still act. I, I still have an agent. And I, I still like to act. Um, you know, I have mixed opinions on capabilities at different times. I just do the best I can and, 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 and go for opportunities I can go for. Uh, same thing with anything, I guess you could say. So um, I'm always trying to better myself in that sense. And 
and there's always mistakes being made. So, well, we all we all learn from our mistakes, and I I know you're having a feature film being made. Do you know where you where you want to pick up uh, pick back up to start filming it again? I'm still yeah, I'm working on that. Um, and uh, you know, I've been editing as much as I can with the family situation. Uh, quite a lot. I've, I've been spending a lot of time on it. It's taken a lot of time because it's just me uh, doing that. But but it has been another blessing with the quarantine to have more time to work on it. Uh, I, I don't know because that's a good question because um, I'm not going to take any risk to anybody's health uh, by any means. I don't, I don't want it. Uh, I'm not in a hurry. Let's just say that because if the studios are scrambling with major budgets to try to deal with COVID-19, what is somebody at our level going to be able to do? I mean, you can only do so much. I still think information is forthcoming by the week or day. And uh, so I'm not going to rush back in. I don't know when we'll film again. We filmed like three days and, and I'm still working on that. We need a few more days for, for that leg of it. Uh, but I suspect, you know, it, it, it's definitely a marathon. It's going to be a while because there's a lot more to do. And now, COVID-19 is a huge wrench in, in, uh, in the whole thing. So I don't know when that will happen. I hope maybe by the fall or winter, but I, I hope we see some great medical uh, advances uh, in the preventative nature before the winter comes back to us. So I agree. And don't worry, man. Like you said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you know, the movie Boyhood took 12 years. So no rush. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I watched it. That was incredible effort, wasn't it? It was incredible. I'm surprised it didn't win, but hey, 12 years. And you know that director, not to get sidetracked, but that director, his next project, his next and last project, which he already started, is going to take 20 years. That is incredible. Man, I never would think somebody would take that kind of <laughs> journey that is wow <laughs> i mean that I, I guess that's his directing style i guess instead of aging people with uh, prosthetics he wants to see people aging for real in the camera that's what he likes to do and that's how he likes to film but that was just a little fun note to add to the close <laughs> my mind what wow that's some dedication <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Steven, uh, I want to talk about something you've made, and I actually enjoyed it. Memoirs of a Godfather. That was fun. <laughs> yes, it was crude, crudely made, but the idea, you know, behind it, I enjoyed. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Uh, where did the inspiration for that come from? It's really bizarre. I don't. <laughs> I wish I could say it exactly. You know, of course. Uh, uh, the Godfather series a bit, but I wanted to do a com comedic take on it and a little bit uh, foolishness, kind of a, a full, fuller, Tom Fullery type angle beyond it. I, I guess, uh, you know, I almost thought of like Andy Griffith's show versus uh, or mixes with The Godfather, like two different dichotomies there that were not didn't seem like they would mix and it kind of came to Garrow County. I mean, you know, it's weird blending. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, it, it wasn't fully realized. Of course, that's the first project I took on and uh, we did several episodes of that. Um, 
and I enjoyed it. And I, I made so many nice and, and wonderful friends I'm still in touch with from that experience. So, um, I wish, uh, I wish it could went further, but you know, knowing what I know now, uh, a period piece set in the thirties done in femoir, black and white, <laughs> never had a shot probably in the major markets, but yeah. So how did you, can you tell us about how you ended up getting rights for a, a Steven film, um, short called rest stop? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that was, uh, actually through, uh, Stephen King has done, um, this for a long time now. Uh, he does a dollar babies uh, program for some of his short stories, and you can send in for permission for um, for rights to be able to film a short film based off of a certain group out of uh, I think if I remember right, it's about twenty something or twenty or so short stories out of different collections he has that you can uh, get tried to uh, put in to ask for permission to make a short film based on it. And, it, and you only send a dollar. It's called Dollar Babies because you can just send in a dollar. And um, now during that time, you should be, I think, the only one permitted during that 12-month period to be able to make a film. But, you um, you know, you're responsible for the budget to get the money together. Uh, it can't be commercially sold. Um, and actually distribution is limited to uh, film festivals only. So particularly non I believe, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, But you can put out a trailer, uh, unless they changed it. It was two minutes or less, you could put your trailer out, and you, you know you get the credit, and you can get, win awards and get credit for it at film festivals too. So it's a great experience, and I think anything with Stephen King's name on it um, attracts a certain amount of, a, a lot of uh, different types of people and talent. You know, I've been blessed with some of the projects to have based, frankly, <laughs> talent that I don't, that, that submitted that really humbled me. I was like, I don't deserve to work with these people. Some of them have major credits. Um, but you know what's strange? Uh, I still went for the person that fit the role the best <laughs> so, <laughs> when I was, when we were casting, you know, so, um, but we did have some uh, people uh, early on, there's some great actors out there with wonderful credits. Sometimes when you do a project, and you're just like, wow, uh, so humbled to see their demo reel and, and and see their work. The only thing I wanted to ask you uh, was, have you ever have you ever directed horror thriller before? Um, before that, no. Uh, I like the horror genre, and you know, it it lends itself to low budget really well because you can get creative and do interesting things on, on a dime um but i think i do like horror but i think my favorite genre is really more science fiction and fantasy one or the other if not both you know kind of blending into into that genre because um i i think science fiction probably would be, would be my favorite but you know sometimes it's tough to do those on on a low budget so well, and to finish it up, did you send the film to Stephen King? I did. Yeah, I sent the film and the poster and a letter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I did a handwritten letter, uh, a poster for the film, and, and a copy of the DVD. So that's part of the agreement, yeah. Um, you're supposed to send them back into him. So it's very interesting. Uh, it's a fun experience. You know, once in the past, I think in the 80s, uh, I think one director um, actually – uh, got a response back and I, I think he helped him uh, helped him uh, gave him rights or something to sell it but in the more immediate sense I think in the past few decades I, I don't know if anybody's um, 
been able to to do one and get the full rights or not so um it's you know but it's still just such a great thing to have to send to festivals and and be able to do that genre well man he's one of the best writers of our generation so for you to say you did anything by him that's that's awesome man congratulations on that it was neat yeah i definitely feel blessed for sure <laughs> uh, i very much enjoyed it and uh and who knows, man, maybe we'll get to work on a, another Stephen King show or movie soon. You know, The Outsider was, was great, and that's one of his. So yeah, That was also really cool, but I never got to see Stephen King there, so that was a bummer. But, yeah, um, I ended up reading the book because I worked on the show, and it was, it was, it was a very good read, obviously, because it's Stephen King. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I remember when Dr. Sleep partly was part of it, at least was filmed in Atlanta, I... Uh, I came close to working on there because uh, some of the same crew from Haunting on Hill House had actually reached out through a casting director to see if uh, I was going to come back, maybe uh, do stand-in work. But uh, somehow that didn't work out in the midst of things, but um, but it was close. I would have loved to have worked on that one because so, that, that movie was pretty wild as well. All right, well... Steven, this has been so much fun, man. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. I'm, it's nice to meet you, Louise. And, of course, Jorge, good to see you again. That was like, great to meet you, too. Yeah, I can't wait till we all are back out there. Um, we've obviously worked a lot of the same projects. Like, it's always <laughs> fun when you can talk about the things you've worked on. And then, like, oh, I was there, too. So yeah, it's very cool that, you know, now we know each other. I would love to see you in person whenever sure. <laughs> stuff that going. Like love to shake your hand um but it was great to meet you great to interview you uh such great stories um i just want to say steven uh you know whenever all this is over it could be next year who knows when i would love to work with you man you know it's been a it's been a goal of mine to work with you ever since you know we met oh please i'm nobody man but you flat it's wonderful thank you i you're one of the best people i know jorge and i always love your energy i always tell tom you've just got such a good heart so I just want to thank Stephen Dean and my co-host Louise. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Being Extra. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for uh, for everyone for watching and listening. Make sure you guys like and subscribe on uh, YouTube and uh, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Thanks uh, with you guys, and we'll, we'll catch you guys next time.